<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This is On The Mark. Pleased to be joined by one of the greatest switch hitters in the history of the game, a phenomenal defender, a World Series champion. Mark Teixeira with me today, one of five switch hitters with over 400 home runs. Mark, let's start with a trivia question here. Do you know the other four players who were switch hitters who also have over 400 home runs in their career? Oh, yeah, that's pretty easy. It's Good company, Mickey Mantle, Eddie Murray, Chipper Jones, and Carlos Beltran. Look at you, historian of the game. That, that's that's not bad though, right? When you you see your name on that list, it's a great list to be a part of. You know, it's, it's kind of humbling when when you can be um, spoken in the same sentence with those type of guys. Um, you know, it's it just kind of makes your whole career all worth it. So you're a young guy, right? And you're you're trying to find your way in baseball. When did you start switch hitting? I mean, was that super early, or was there a coach that came along and said, "Hey, Mark, you sh- you should try this"? Yeah, I always switch hit as a kid in the backyard. I learned how to play baseball in the backyard, playing with ball with my dad. And um, you know, I was a switch hitter because of Eddie Murray. Uh, I grew up in Baltimore and and watched Eddie Murray play a bunch when I was a kid, and so I was always messing around left-handed in the backyard. And I started doing it in games full-time when I was 13 years old uh, at the urging of my father who um, kind of told me that you know what baseball is pretty easy for you right now just being a right-handed hitter want to challenge yourself and try to hit lefty as well and the rest is history. Wow that's uh that's a big time challenge by dad right there did you kind of look at him like he was crazy or like all right fine I'll be Eddie Murray that's cool. No I, I I was was really excited about it um a lot of the coaches that I that I had weren't weren't uh, excited about me doing it when I was young. And then when I was 13, um, I just told I told my 13-year-old coach, I said, I'm hitting left-handed this year against righties, so if you want me on the team, that's those are my terms, <laughs> basically. Um, I was obviously the, the best player on the team, and, and uh, the coach allowed me to do it. And Like I said, you know, it, the rest is history, and it worked out for me in the end. That's pretty cool to know your position at 13. Hey, man, I know you want me on this team. Uh, <laughs> most 13 year olds they they don't they don't get to do that that's awesome well yeah i mean i i think i, I you know i always tell people that you know, whether you're a professional ba- baseball player or a basketball player or, or any of those you know your top sports you know pretty young i mean you know that you have special talent and then it's just a matter of of being able to build that talent and and work hard and get the most out of your 
your natural ability. Yeah, I always find guys who, who make it to your level, Mark, uh, it's just extremely interesting how you, as a kid, build that vision that you're good enough to do it. Was your dad kind of the coaching type? It sounds like he was from what you said earlier. Was was he pushing you early? He was, yeah. he was, And he pushed me in the, the right way. He, he wasn't one of these crazy, overbearing fathers by any means, but he was he was a dad that that knew my talent, uh, knew that I was I was special at, at a young age, and because of that, you know, he wanted me to work hard. He wanted me to challenge myself. He wanted me to do the right things on and off the field. Um, you know, that included in the classroom and and be respectful at home and and you know, kind of doing the right things whenever possible. And so, from that standpoint, he was he was my best coach, best teacher, uh, and best friend growing up. Did you have? Uh, I should know this, but I don't. Do you, have, you, do you have brothers or sisters that played a lot too, or are you kind of the lone athlete in the family? I was the lone athlete. My my older sister was you know wasn't really into sports too much. She uh, she played a little bit of high school softball and and was a cheerleader. Other than that, she really had no interest in sports. So um, I think by her uh, by the time she was a sophomore junior, she stopped playing stopped playing softball. So. I was I was the last athlete in the family. It was just my sister and I, and um, a lot of my parents' attention was on you know, on me driving around the, the state or the country, really you know following me play basketball and soccer and baseball. Did you ever think you know what I I, I prefer basketball or, or soccer to baseball? Or was baseball always the number one? I actually liked basketball more as a kid, but I was so much better at baseball than basketball. I just I didn't have that natural talent like uh, like I was talking about i mean you know basketball for me was was a lot of fun i enjoyed it but i ne- i always knew that baseball was going to be my sport and by the time i was a senior in high school i was just playing baseball full-time yeah all right well, here let's talk major league career you you of course started with the rangers and the braves and the angels and then wrapping it up with a, a, a long stint in a world championship with the new york yankees i mean i remember when you came in mark i didn't think you were ever going to be leaving texas but then uh you ended up getting dealt to the braves and what was a huge deal at the time is is it true that you actually were you were on a boat fishing and like drenched your phone and you basically found out on television that you were going to be in atlanta Braves? that is that is a true story uh i was with my buddy david delucci and i'd heard that we were going to be um, that I was probably going to be traded uh, within within a day or two. It was like two days before the deadline, the trade deadline in July. And uh, I went out fishing on an off day in Cleveland. Uh, David was playing for the Indians at the time, so we went out and and I said, "Hey, do you have a do you have a waterproof bag in this boat? It's it kind of a small boat. We were on a basically on a big pond. It wasn't it wasn't much of anything, but so you have a you have a waterproof bag I can put this in. He said, "Yeah, yeah, put it put it in here." So I put it in this bag. And we get done fishing, and I open up the bag, and the bag is soaked. It's, the, it's soaked at the bottom of the boat, and it's like, you know, what are you doing to me, Luke? So I had to, uh, I had to run, I had to run to the the uh, store, you know, singular at the time, I think. Run to the store, get a new phone, <laughs> um, get that all set up. And by the time that I kind of gotten my new phone, people were trying to call me, and um, I think, um, I think it. Yeah, I found out it was on TV as I was kind of like going to get my phone. <laughs> the uh, the trade went across, so uh, it's kind of a funny story. Yeah, that's uh, that that's one way to get traded right there. You, I mean, I I assume at the time you were bum, maybe leaving Texas, but then you're getting to go to basically, you know, home. You're, you're a Georgia Tech guy. You, I, I'm sure you were excited to go to Atlanta. Is that basically what was going on in the mind at the time? 
Oh yeah, I mean, I knew, I knew Texas was rebuilding um, as they right. should have been. I mean, it was kind of one of those uh, perfect trades for for both sides. I got a you know a new team and and got to play for the Braves, which was was a great opportunity for me going back to Atlanta. My wife's from Georgia. Uh, going to Georgia Tech was uh, was a lot of fun for me, and I had tons of friends that were still in Atlanta at the time. And uh, being able to go play for the Braves was kind of a dream come true. I watched him growing up on TBS. I uh, watched him in in college, obviously. So it was it was really neat being able to play for the Braves, and uh, like I said, a trade that worked out for both parties. And you got to play with a pretty good switch hitter over there in Chipper, who we mentioned earlier. What what was uh, what was like the, the best part of being around Chipper Jones? I, I assume that helped you as your career progressed. Just watching him do his thing. I mean, I, I played a lot of great players, and you know, Chipper might not have been the best player I played with, but he he might have been the best. He might have the best hands um, when it comes to eye hand contact. Um, you know, the, the coordination that that he had at the plate from both sides of the plate. He just he was such a great hitter, um, and just watching him, he batted third, I batted fourth. Just watching him for a year. Um, and him getting on base for me to be able to drive him in for a year was a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, with Chipper, and I know that it's not like this for you guys, that you guys put in a ton of work, but you, um, me watching him, I just thought it is effortless for this guy. He's just so natural at it. That that was, you know, just watching Chipper. That's 100%. Yeah. 100%. You're, you're exactly right. He was he was probably the most natural hitter I ever played with, um, and, and he just – he rolled out of bed and he hit, and it doesn't matter – who the pitcher was, what the situation, he was going to put the barrel on the ball. And um, like I said, he was, he was the best at that. So then you, you move on to the, the Angels and, uh, you know, traded out of Atlanta, who's, and you're all of a sudden you're playing a half a season with, the, with Anaheim and then another half a season before uh, ending up with, with New York. You guys had a great team in 08, man. That was a, that was a hell of a club. It didn't go your way it in the postseason. Maybe- but yeah, maybe maybe the best team I, I played on. I mean, the 08 Angels and 09 uh, Yankees were the two best teams I ever played on. Um, and I don't think there, there was a, a kind of a close second um, after those two teams. So uh, I'll put those two teams up against each other. If, if you played 100 times, it'd probably be 50-50. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but, you know, playoffs are weird. You, know, you only play five games and you, you, you get a bad bounce here and you don't get a hit in a big situation. All of a sudden you, you lose a five-game series. And that's... That's baseball, and that's it happens a lot, actually. Yeah, I, mean, I was looking at your playoff numbers, and like you had postseasons where you hit three fifty, you hit three hundred, and you had postseasons where you didn't get a hit. I, I mean, how do you if you're talking to guys now who are going in the postseason for the first time? What do you tell them? Because you're going up against the best pitchers, but there's a ton of pressure. So, I mean, even if I, I just don't, it's a, it's hard to have any real expectations going into the playoffs. Just. I would think it would be hardest to handle, A, the failure with that big of a spotlight on you, but then you know, also sort of keeping yourself level when you're having success. Yeah, but, you know, postseason is, is weird because it's such a short sample size. I mean, you know, you, you take anywhere from three games, if, if uh, unfortunately if you get swept in the first game, or up to, you know, 15 or, or 18 if you go all the way to the World Series and, and you play, uh, you know, you, you play a bunch of games that way. That's still a really small sample size, and so I've had I've had good series, bad series. Um, you are facing the best the best pitchers in the game. That's uh, you know that's one thing that you're going to be guaranteed when you get to the postseason. Um, and you know the biggest thing for me is is try not to do too much. And I I probably the, the times that I didn't have good postseasons, I was trying to kind of put the team on my back a little too much. And you know sometimes you got to take your walks in the postseason. Sometimes you got to 
you got to take your singles because, uh, like I said, there's there's some good pitching and they're not going to give in. Toughest thing, best thing about playing in New York? Uh, the best thing about playing in New York is when you win, um, you're kind of it's kind of immortal. You know, it's just you know, that championship season in '09 will never be forgotten. Uh, and I still still see people almost every day that say something about it and say thanks for '09 because championships are everything in New York. So. For uh, for me to be able to play on that team was was pretty special. And the toughest thing is when you're losing, it's it's a tough place to play. I mean, it's, you, you know, you're not happy, your teammates aren't happy, your front office isn't happy, ownership, fans, because we all expect so much um, out of ourselves in New York that when it's not going well, it's uh, it's magnified. Do you uh, are you surprised by the early success this year with the 2017 Yankees? A little bit. I mean, I think we all knew that, that they had talent coming. Um, and, you know, I think that the pleasant surprises are some of the veterans that are, that are doing well, whether it's on the pitching staff or, or, uh, veteran hitters coming back and having bounce back years like Brett Gardner and Chase Headley and Jacoby Ellsbury. Those type of guys bouncing back are, are really important. So, uh, I think pleasant surprises definitely. And, uh, but I, I think they're here to stay. You know, it's a good team, uh, a lot of talent and, and we'll see if they can, they can keep winning. Let me get one uh, Derek Jeter story out of you, Mark. Well, what's what's a highlight Jeter moment for you? I mean, you know, everyone has seen the moments um, on on the field, but uh, you know, I think in my, my biggest thing I always talk about with Derek is is he did everything right, and that means on the field, it means off the field, and I, I tell people, you know, Derek should write a manual or a book for all young athletes when you become a professional if you're a top draft pick or you know you're a rookie that's that's kind of come onto the scene and and people are giving you attention and telling you you're the greatest thing in the world you know just talk to Derek Jeter and and he'll tell you how to handle that success and handle that spotlight because he was the best at it and uh, I marveled you know playing for six years with him I marveled at the way he handled different situations Um, and he always handled them the right way yeah I mean I've I've covered a lot of different sports and Jeter to me reminds me the most of say Michael Jordan because whenever I would see MJ he was always professional always completely in control of what was going on and that's what it was like when you when you know I got to walk in the Yankees clubhouse however many times there was just a presence with Jeter where you knew that uh, he knew exactly what questions were coming how to answer them and how he was going to represent himself in the team I mean it was impressive very very impressive absolutely absolutely and and I think he he would probably appreciate being uh you know being mentioned with michael jordan because those are two great champions yeah no no doubt so all right you're you're a big film guy you're a you're a member of the board of the greenwich uh, international film festival and that's why we're talking to you today what, what's your favorite uh baseball movie of all time mark Teixeira? i would say bull durham with uh major league being a close second not, okay, so if you're going Bull Durham, does the scene that uh, Bull Durham starts with the little extracurricular activities uh, before Nuke Lelouch takes the mound, has that ever happened in minor league baseball, or is that uh, a, just a Bull Durham thing? Could that be a real situation? Uh, I, I'm going to have to give you a no comment on that one. <laughs> everyone, has, everyone has their different theories, um, but listen, that Bull, I will say this. Bull Durham, um, I only played one season in the minor leagues thank goodness but bull durham is as close to um you know realistic minor league life as uh, as any movie i've seen that's awesome would you say that the conversation on the mound would ever happen 
we're, hey, uh, you know, where are we going that, to dinner that's tonight? A little, that's a little too much. That's a little too much. Okay. Um, I think that that was probably uh, a little bit more of um, of a uh, you know, dramatization that than would normally happen. That being said, there are some funny conversations uh, on the mound or, or with probably more between the, the fielders when, you know, during a pitching change, um, you know, sometimes – you know, if the coach comes out here, he's probably not real happy that he has to make a pitching change, so he won't be joking around like that or, um, you know, saying those types of things. Right, right, right. You're you're on the uh, producing sports panel this year for the film festival. What what does that entail for you? So uh, we're going to be screening uh, the Mike and Mad Dog uh, Thirty for Thirty that ESPN did. I mean, I think oh, wow. ESPN does an amazing amazing job with those uh, those documentaries. And, and we're going to talk about um, you know, athletes or, or broadcasters and um, and how they look at sports, you know, and you know just different different ways to cover it, uh, different ways to talk about it, and um, you know I think what Mike and the Mad Dog did for sports radio, they kind of made um, they made a kind of a new market for sports radio, and you see a lot of guys following their lead with um, with you know healthy debate back and forth. Uh, and they're they're doing it on TV shows now as, as well. So it's it's going to be a really cool uh, cool documentary to watch, and then we'll have fun talking about it. So how are you feeling being a part of the dark side here now, working for ESPN and being a member of the media? Yeah, I mean, I, I still don't still don't um, you know think about it that much. I just I answer questions. You know, I give my opinion. Um, you know, the only thing that's different from now than when I was playing is that I can I can be a little bit more honest now. Yeah. So, so when someone asked my opinion about something that was happening while I was playing, I had to be guarded to protect my teammates or protect my manager or front office or, or not to upset someone else in the, in the game. Now, as a member of the media, you can be honest and, and you can, you know, you can say things that you wouldn't otherwise say while you were playing. And that's, that makes it more fun for me. I'm, I'm really enjoying this, this job. So you're not worried about ruffling the feathers of, say, a former teammate. Does that feel comfortable for you? I mean, if you know, if I'm telling the truth, or I'm, you know, someone asks me my opinion, you know, I think that's that's part of the territory. I, I don't yeah. I don't lose any sleep over it. I'll tell you that. Fair enough. I I was uh was going through Twitter and I I came across one tweet. I hated Mark Teixeira as a Yankee, but him in baseball tonight, he's just a stud. So I think oh, that's, good. <laughs> is that like, that's like the ultimate compliment, right? He hated you on the field because he wanted to see the Yankees lose and you fail, and now he likes he likes listening to you. I think I thought that was pretty solid. Well, yeah, I like hearing that because you know I, I love baseball and I I want fans to enjoy baseball. I want fans to enjoy listening to me talk about it and and watch ESPN while while I'm on the shows and just have fun. I mean, listen, this is all entertainment, and I think sometimes we forget that we forget that this is entertainment. Uh, and I just want to want to have fun with it and, and try to do my best job of bringing fans into into the game from a player's perspective because I've been through it all. You know that's the that's the cool thing about my career is I got to play four different cities. Um, you know I got to play on some great teams. I got to play on some last place. I played for some some managers that were fiery and some managers that sat back and just kind of let his players do their thing. So I've been through a lot of cool experiences and being able to share that with the fans is important. Yeah, let's talk about that entertainment for one second here. And I've seen you have a couple comments like you'd like the game to be faster, but you don't necessarily have the solution. So let me just give you a couple here. 
N- number one, let's limit the amount of mound visits we can have. I see catchers going out five times an inning. Agreed. I mean, Agreed. Okay, all right. I mean, that's just like, hey, man, there's got to be a signal. That's, yeah, that, 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 that's a no-doubter. we got to do that one. How about, how about this? Once you're in the batter's box, unless you have a – if you had a foul ball, fine. But other than that, you can only take one foot out. You can, you can look down at their base. Agreed. Okay. All right, we're two for two here. Agreed. All right. Yep, two for two. Now, I don't know – like, to me, I don't think you could do the pitch clock. I, but I – because if you've if you got a runner on base, you, it can't work. But I think outside of a runner on base, let's go. I mean, that's – that should be something where if there's nobody on, I don't know what the number is, but it's got to happen. Like, you're not – there's. I, no sp- I agree with that. Three, I agree with that. Three for three. Okay. I got no more. That's all I got. But, I, but that would help. Perfect. I think, I, think I, mean, that, I think that would make a big difference. Those, those three things, even if it's five or ten minutes a game, I think, I think what we want to do is we want to pick up the pace. We want to um, limit the dead time. I think the unfortunate thing about pace of play right now is is the way that the game is played is different. Uh, and the reason I say that is e- even back 15 years ago when I first started playing, pitchers were told to, to pitch to contact. You know, starters wanted to go deep in games. I mean, starters got paid in free agency if they went deep into games and, and threw a lot of innings. Now it's give me your best five innings, maybe six, and get out of there. Right. So what that means is they're trying to hit every single corner, they're, they're, they're throwing a lot of breaking pitches, all these mound visits. They're, you know, they're grinding over every single at bat, and you have more foul balls. You, see, you have more pitches you know, in general because you have more foul balls, you have more takes, you have more strikeouts. And the game is just that's, that's going to be hard to change because that's the way the game has evolved. Um, and until, until you. Um, you know, you, you make a rule where it's only three balls and two strikes, you know, three balls and you're walking and two strikes and you're out. I don't see that part of the game changing. Um, however, I would like to see all this dead time taken, taken care of. And even if it's five or ten minutes a game, that's a step in the right direction. What do you think about the strike zone? Because, I mean, Major League Baseball, they want action, so they're trying to lift it up above the knees and they want balls in play. But to me, when you have an, a strike zone that is that tight, it's it just – you, you guys at the plate are—they're not going to swing. I mean, uh, to me, it should be. From, I, I have no problem. I have no problem with the strike zone. I really don't. Okay. I think I think the strike zone is is fine. Um, I you know I wouldn't I wouldn't mind them just clarifying that the knees is not the bottom of the knee. It's it's the middle of the knee, and we're talking about an inch, maybe two. I don't think that changes the game drastically, but it just lets everybody know. Okay. The middle of the knee, that's the strike. You know, the, the bottom of the letters, that's the strike. Let's go play ball. All right, and last one then on that. Do you want – would it be okay with you if there was a computer that was calling balls and strikes? I, I have no problem with that because the technology is there. I think we have too many arguments of, um, between, between um, you know, managers and umpires and, and hitters and umpires and, and catchers and, and everyone's umpires. And we put replay in on the bases, and I think it's worked. It takes a little bit longer than I would like it, but it, but overall it works. It, it has created a, an atmosphere where now as a first baseman, I never argued with the first base umpire because I knew replay was going to catch it. Right. So no, like, no big deal, no arguments anymore. So if we had some sort of 
electronic strike zone, I would have no problem with that. Yeah, I, I just got to say, it works incredibly well for tennis. I mean, I grew up, that was like John It Matt, sure does. Right? I mean, yes or no, is, boom, done. Let's move along. So I, I think it'd be exactly. great. I think it'd be great for baseball. It would be simple to do. Yeah, yeah. If guys would lose jobs, but you can create something else there. They got to be in the ballpark somewhere as far as the umpires go. Yep. And so that, and, I agree. Yep. All right. Hey, Mark. Great to talk to you, and uh, best of luck with the Greenwich International Film Festival. Love, love, love that for you, and uh, love that you're doing ESPN and staying visible. And congrats on a phenomenal career. You get a, are you a Hall of Famer in your mind? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I don't get to make those decisions. Um, you know, maybe someday if, if even if one person votes for me, I'll be happy. Okay, I mean, you, you you got gold gloves, you got you got over 400 home runs, you got World Series championships, you got you got a resume that can be argued here. I appreciate that, and like I said, you know, if you'd asked me when I when I was a rookie if I was going to be a Hall of Famer, I'd be like, hey, you know, one step at a time. Let me get my first hit first. <laughs> uh, so, so just just to be in that conversation is is pretty cool. Well, and congrats on on, on your career, Mark. It was a pleasure watching. Great to talk to you today. Thank you, Mark. Really appreciate it. That sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.